Alright, we're in. Welcome everybody to 141 Presents Old Mansion. I'm Teddy. And I'm Connor. And we are here to present to you your favourite music podcast. We break down music we've been listening to. We're going to talk about some old stuff, some new stuff, some classic stuff. Um, let's get right into it. Is there anything, but before we do, Ted, before yeah. we do, I want to. I want the record to reflect for those at home who aren't in the room with us mm. that you are wearing yellow submarine socks, oh, and, yeah. and not just like any yellow submarine, like the, yeah. the titular yellow submarine, from yeah, the, the classic Beatles film and accompanying album. So you know, I want to. Uh, the people have to know that this is the dedication that you have. You yeah, just come the, from work. <laughs> I have. They were hit at work as well. They really, they really dug it. Yeah. Have you seen the Yellow Submarine movie? Actually? I haven't, no. Neither have I. Except it's one of those things everybody knows the cartoon. Yeah. Like, we've actually got action figures of the weird people that are in that movie. You know how there's like the big trumpet guy, the big blue mm. guy? It wasn't directed by the Beatles. Like, did they design Did they come up with the idea? I don't know if they directed it, but I feel like they had like creative control over it. Like, that's fairly late for them, isn't it? That's like 66? No, yeah. Like, it's, it, it's got to be like mid to late Beatles. It's not early stuff like Help. So I feel like they have to be at least a bit, you know, controlling over the idea. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I think Yellow Submarine was on... Yeah, it's, it's an album itself, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. But it was also on another album. Yeah. What, what album was it on? Because, yeah, the Yellow Submarine soundtrack, I think, is contains songs from different albums as well. Yeah, that's true. Ah, uh, okay. Ah, uh, okay. So the, the White Album was re- released around the same time. Yeah, you see, so it's that era of the Beatles. Uh, oh, is, and it was also released on the Magical Mystery Tour. Yes, which is my favourite Beatles album. Uh, featured Lucy in the Sky with Diamond as an extra inside too. There you go. The Isn't mo- it funny, by the way, the bands this day still release B-sides? Yeah, exactly. Well, when the idea of like a B-side of a record is pretty much non-existent. Like, people don't know what the word B-side refers to, but they know that it is like an extra track. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, isn't it? exactly. It's interesting how that works. Ah, okay. So Anyhow. the songs in the film are "Yellow Submarine," "Only a Northern Song," "All Together Now," "Hey Bulldog," "It's All Too Much," and then "All You Need Is Love." Wasn't wow. "Hey Bulldog" on Abbey Road? What was that like? No, that's not. That's not on Abbey Road. It isn't. I no, thought "Hey Bulldog" came way later. No, "Hey Bulldog" was on that. It's in the movie, and it's on the Yellow Submarine album. Yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. That's crazy. Hey Bulldog. Well, you know, uh, I guess everybody has Beatles blind spots because there is so much to know, you know? Yeah, like, they've got, like, films and songs mm. and compilation albums. And Paul McCartney has recently been in Melbourne and apparently the shows were insane. Like, apparently he's still got it. Really? Wow. Yeah, no. Yeah. That's impressive. He's mm. an old guy now, you know? I know. Um, but people still just absolutely love him. I mean, he still makes original music. He still puts out studio albums every few years. Dude, and his studio albums are really good. Yeah. You can tell though that, you can tell when you listen to his studio albums, you go back and listen to the old school Beatles stuff, and you can definitely tell which parts, which songs McCartney wrote. Like, mm. He's always got very distinct melodies, and I think John Lennon helped him out a lot on the lyrics, and obviously they sang at the same time and created that beautiful harmony sound, but you can really tell a Paul McCartney melody, and a lot of his songs still have that. Oh, okay. You know, it's funny, I listened to an interview of his on Triple J, and they interviewed him before a gig, and they asked him about five of like listeners' most favourite songs and how he went about writing them. So we talked about how he wrote Yesterday or he came up with a melody for Yesterday in a dream. Mm. Um, Classic story. He thought he thought that he plagiarised it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so he waited for like a month before he showed it to any of the other guys. Yeah. And it's, obviously that's like a genius song, but the funniest one was uh, the song Blackbird. 
And my parents actually saw Paul McCartney play last year at the Desert Trip Festival when he oh, that's right, nearly yeah. young but he bobbed in. In, a, in like LA or near it's, it's in Coachella, it's in Santa Monica. Yeah, where they have Coachella, so obviously insane. But um, <laughs> he said that apparently he tells a great story at the start of that, where he says that he wrote this song to piss off like shitty guitarists because it's that song that everybody first learns how to play. Yeah, it's really hard. But they were asking him about it, like, oh, what did you write Blackbird about, Paul? And he says, well, you know, back in, uh, in um, Liverpool, it's a pretty, you know, rough place. There's not a lot of, like, you know, there's mainly white people there. And I was watching on the TV and I saw, you know, the civil rights movement happening. And they were just interviewing this, this black woman. Right? And back in the day, you know, back in Liverpool, back in those days, you used to call pretty women birds. You'd be like, ooh, there's a bird over there. She's a nice bird. And then he says, like, I don't know what you'd, you'd call them now. And she was like, uh, I think we call them women, Paul. Like, totally made a point of it. Like, fucking grilled him for it. And he was like, oh, yeah, you've got to be careful. But, you know, I just sort of saw this Blackbird on the telly and, and wrote a song about it. So that song, Blackbird, I had no idea. It's that not about it. It's about a chick. It's about I always assumed it was like... I always assumed that the actual bird itself wasn't the metaphor. Yeah, yeah. I know. Like, like, it flying was the metaphor. But no, it wasn't actually no, a Blackbird. <laughs> Doesn't it just change like the sweetness of that song just a little bit? It's like Blackbird singing in the dead of day. It's literally just about uh, a chick. I thought that was um, yeah, I thought that was cool. That is cool. That's very cool. Anyway, Ted, mm. uh, you, you're going to take center stage here for a bit oh, because yeah. you have been to a festival this this weekend. You went to Meredith the Meredith Dude, Festival. I think for so for anybody listening who does know what Meredith is. Um, the story of Meredith is really sick and it's one of those festivals that's just like on a farm I had absolutely no idea how many people were there I think there might have been like 10,000 people there but it's very small there's only one stage a few food carts um, you know one act on at a time and there's just a great community vibe like it's a bit more of a middle aged festival so I like we were kind of the youngest crew there I didn't see many people younger than us um, a lot of people like 25, 30s and stuff so bit more of an older crowd there but that kind of makes it cool oh man a lot of trippers there that's for sure like a lot of eccentric party animals there and a really chill vibe so it's totally BYO like you've just got to bring your own stuff drugs as well yeah BYO drugs <laughs> yeah pretty much and like, there's absolutely there's all all the artists keep referring to people like oh we all know what you guys are doing here like even like Mark Seymour actually Mark Seymour had a go at everybody he's like can smell something funny out there. Yep, you guys should all get a fine. You're a disgrace. And everyone's like, what the fuck, Mark Seymour? That gets me. Anyway. Um, but no, Meredith was an absolutely awesome festival. So it's two nights. It's Friday night, Saturday night. First night was absolutely shit. And everybody was talking about how it was like one of the shittest nights at a festival they've ever seen. Um, because they always get these really eccentric acts on. Um they got this like weird Melbourne punk band up that kept playing videos of you know John and Dor those old comedians that used to be on the 7.30 report used to be on oh yes Clark and Dor yes who recently died Clark recently died so they had videos of him going on the background while they sang this punk music I swear most of the bands were tripping because they didn't talk very much and kind of fucked up a lot it was amazing even some of the store clerks were tripping like I went to go buy a sandwich and it took like 10 minutes because the girl got really confused, broke the cash register, uh, like gave me the wrong sandwich. 
um, gave it to me before I played. It was hilarious. So it was a great, um, really funny bar <laughs> at the festival. Um, and oh, the worst act I think I've ever seen live happened late on this Friday night. This band called Various Asses. Okay, Various Asses. And what they do is that they like I'm still trying to work out whether they are taking the piss or not when they did this. But they had this, like, all right, various artists would like to acknowledge that we are performing on stolen ground currently and how um, this land belongs to the... Uh, I forgot the name of the people that haven't land around Meredith. Mm-hmm. Um, but they knew the exact name. They did the whole acknowledgement of the traditional owners. And then, you know, various artists is a group of five chicks, right? DJ that plays this epic, epic techno. And not, like, like crazy good techno. Just, like, epic. Just huge build-ups and shit. And then these four chicks run on stage and they're all of different shapes and sizes, hence the various in the various houses. Mm. Wearing fairly skimpy clothes and they're all dancing, right? But not dancing in sync. And I was thinking, oh shit, this is going to be some mad group with like great harmonies, like performing out of their skin. I'm so excited for it. Um, but then we waited five minutes, still no singing. Waited ten minutes, yet yeah, still no lyrics. And then we realised it was going to be an hour of this epic techno music and all these girls dancing, not in sync, but separately. So I was watching this going like, you know, when you, you know when you're at a festival and there's a big build up, it takes you actually a while to work out whether an act is shit or whether it's good. Mm. And it took me like 10 minutes and then I was like, wait a minute, no, this is actually This is it. This, this is, is it. This isn't this going is anywhere. It. Yeah, this, this isn't going anywhere. anywhere. This is as much as we're going to get. They have hit their stride, yeah. you know? And that is why I said, no, nah, no more of this. So <laughs> we eventually got sick of it. And they had this beautiful hill that you can sit on and it looks over the horizon. There's a big wind farm there. Um, so we made us spend a lot of time out there during various houses. So the first night was pretty average. Second night uh, got way better. So 9 a.m. music starts. And we were there right at the start to watch some bands play. They absolutely killed it. A lot of punk bands, a lot of bands from Melbourne as well, which I really liked. Like very much a local art scene. Um, and then it had a mad Saturday afternoon lineup. So it started with the first band that we were really keen to see, my favourite band of the whole performance, the Testy Brothers. And I'm actually going to throw in a Testy Brothers song into our playlist a little bit later because everybody should listen. Very nice. Yeah, you showed show me the Tusky Brothers before a long time ago, and they are very impressive. I'm jealous oh, that you got to see them. Yeah. How dude, was it? So good. So good. Um, I really uh, liked everything they did. And it's one of those sounds that the Tusky Brothers, obviously, they're a bit like that 60s soul sound. It is so easy to recreate live. Mm-hmm. So they've really adjusted to their recording, and I've really done that. So it started off with the Tusky Brothers. Absolutely played out of their skin. I absolutely loved it. Played some new songs as well. Um, which I, I really dug. Uh, and then, after that, was No Name. And she was insane. Like, she is a mad MC. Like, so tight. Her band is so sick. Literally guitarist, bass player, keyboard player, drummer. They are so tight. Like, and they recreate her sound, her beats, perfectly. Mm-hmm. She was a mad MC. Had a great rapport with the crowd. Um, trying to teach the crowd how to sing backing vocals to a certain song, and the crowd just could not get it. And I did not know whether it was because the crowd was like all white or just really fucked up. She said, oh, you guys are really fucked up, aren't you? And everyone was like, yeah! And she tried to teach the whole crowd backing vocals. 
but it just did not work. Well, well, just quickly so we can carbon date this for those of you at home. Mm. Uh, I am actually seeing No Name tonight. Yes! Um, I'm seeing No Name tonight. I'm seeing No Name in two hours. Mm. I will arrive. Uh, it's the 11th of December as yeah. we speak. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I'm very excited. And from what I've heard from you and from the others that were at Meredith, mm. it's going to be an amazing show. Play out of the skin. Like, mad rapper and... You know when you see a rapper like, you actually forget how much of like, a physical thing it is. Yeah, exactly. So she's got like upbeat songs. She raps hard and, and she just absolutely does it justice. So really happy with her. And then Harvey Sutherland played after that. I don't know if you, you heard Harvey Sutherland. Yes, I've heard, I've heard Harvey Sutherland's music. Yeah, awesome. I'm going to chuck another song of his on the playlist as well. She, uh, sorry, he absolutely killed it. So he's got like a really weird setup, like a percussionist, um, drummer. He's got three pads, like three keyboards. Oh, yeah. And an electric violin. Ooh, wow. So there's no bass. And I think they played us some backing tracks as well. But a really tight band, but just have that incredibly groovy electronic style. And he solos for ages, has so many good grooves. Drummer is tight. And the electric violin, like when you put a few effects on it, like has a crazy range of sounds. Mm. So people really, really dug that. So Re- really interesting, really interesting instrument. Yeah. Yeah, like, like I've only heard it a, a few times. Yeah. But yeah, I always forget how versatile it is and how weird a sound it can produce. I've seen another band do it recently, a band called Lab Jack. They played at the Nightcap. You know, we saw them the other, like, a couple of weeks ago. Yes, that's right. We did the uh, Latin the, the Latin System of a Down yeah. Latin American influence. It was very interesting. The <laughs> System of a Down Latin American influence. You're exactly right. Um, I, yeah, no, I actually really dug those guys there. I dug it there, especially when you put it through an effects pedal. And to just have it constantly soloing, I thought it added a really nice effect. Then there was a bad break on Saturday night, so everyone goes back and chills at the campsite. And fucking Mark Seymour played. And, like, so the stage of Meredith is set up, like, there's a big amphitheater, so the mm. stage, and a big natural amphitheater. And everyone just brings their own couches and shit and sits there and camps out there for the whole festival. <laughs> Mark Seymour. Like, I walked in to Mark Seymour playing the Holy Grail, and his band is fucking tight. Like, drummer, backing vocalist, amazing guitarist, and amazing bass player. Um, he wasn't playing with his brother, though. His brother didn't play. Uh, but just, oh, walking into the Holy Grail was like, shit, yeah, this is on. And then Mark Seymour overplayed. I think he extended his set a little bit. And then aid into this band Future Islands. So Future Islands are pretty big. Like they've got a pretty big. Fan. They are. They've, they've had some some good success. I, I like a couple of their songs. The the guy's voice. I he's got that Rick Ashley effect. I thought he was a big black guy, and then again he's like a skinny white guy. Mm, he he's got a voice that just doesn't match his appearance. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Really shocking performance. So really uh, shocking contrast. Mm. Uh, and then he started that. Gig. I was amazed. He started and said, "Because Mark Seymour, obviously Aussie legend." Um, you know, a bit of a weird performer actually, though, Mark Seymour. I'll talk about him, uh, we'll talk about him a little bit later, but very much, uh, sort of, like, really criticised the audience a lot, and kept telling the stories about his songs, like he was, you know, uh, a, like a dad, kind of, he was saying, hey, when you guys drive back to Melbourne, you're going to go across this big concrete structure known as the Westgate Bridge. Now, not many people know that that was actually designed in, like, 1952, and actually fell apart. And this song is about the Westgate. It's called Westgate. And it's like, dude, are you a teacher or are you a bloody boy? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, kind of, it's kind of trivia you expect to get on a road trip, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's your dad driving you on a road trip being like, now kids, let me tell you about this. Yeah. Um, so he was kind of funny. But no, he extended his set, played into Future Island's time, and Future Island was so pissed off. 
and just totally dissed Mark Zimmer when he started his set. He was like, all right, that fucking asshole eating to our time, right? Guys, these are our lives here. These are not just songs. These are our lives. And everyone was like, whoa, okay, bit of a winky here. But then backed it up with a really good set. Like those guys, to their credit, actually killed yeah, it. Yeah, as, as long as you're able to follow it up with something good, yeah. you know, it's, it's kind of like seeing U2 live. Yeah. Seeing U2 live is great as long as, because Bono is able to follow up all of the, you know, self-indulgent political commentary that he will undoubtedly make. Yeah. He'll play a good show, so he'll be like, oh, it was worth it. Yeah. Someone like Morrissey, not oh, worth it. Oh, yeah. Not worth it, never worth it, you know? So he did, yeah. This guy was so high energy, like you could tell he was so dedicated to what he was doing. He was so sweaty at the end, like on the floor. And you go, fuck, that's good fun, man. And that is actually another credit to... Have you heard of that Chu Chu Yes, I have. They're, they're playing in um, Melbourne soon. At the yeah. Croxton, the Croxton Brewery or something. Yeah, so they play Friday night. They were the best performer on Friday night. And that guy, the lead singer of that, comes out in like a button-up shirt and boxes. He's one of the most high energy frontmen I've ever seen. But it's such a shame because his vocals just weren't like like mixed right. Oh, so okay. it was very unclear. They play a lot of tight like disco music. They do, yeah. It was very not, like was not tight and very unclear. And you need to be tight in, in disco yeah. music especially and you know, it's all about <laughs> that tightness. So unfortunately they cool. didn't, uh, you couldn't quite hear them. So his vocals literally sounded like, I have no, I'm not like, I sounded like, it was like scat. Yeah, it was literally like scatting for an hour. And it was just more funny than it was uh, good, unfortunately. So, yeah. Apparently, I looked them up. Their band name can be said. Yes, it's, it's any monosyllabic sound repeated yeah. three times. So, ch 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 ba fa fa Yeah, exactly. Any, any sound you can make. It, it, mm. They are a good band, actually. From what I've heard of them, like I can envisage them being a high-energy act. You yeah. know? I can envisage him really going at it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, that's, that sounds incredible, man. I've heard lots of good things about Meredith. Uh, Dude, and unbelievably good time. Like, you can tell, apparently Nick Cave played there a couple of years ago. Paul Kelly played there last year. Like, they, they're they just great at getting mad Australian. It's got, yeah, it's got a surprising Kelly. amount of, um, of sway, you know, a yeah. surprising amount of uh, yeah. clout for yeah. a festival that is so moderately sized. Yeah, and it's a two-day festival, um, start or two-night festival, three-day festival. It all started because this guy who was a lawyer like a public liability insurance lawyer, went to Thailand and got bitten by a mosquito, one of those fucked up mosquitoes that rots bacteria, it sends bacteria to your brain, rotted away his motor movement in his legs. So he's in a wheelchair, he's paralysed, and obviously it's really hard to go to festivals when you're paralysed. So he had a family farm near Meredith and just set up a festival, invited 200 mates down, and they just kept coming back every single year. Five years in, they start this nudie run thing in the, on the morning of Sunday after everyone had stayed up late all night on Saturday night. And we stayed up all night on Saturday night. It was mad. Just when we were getting tired, this, um, this DJ at 5 a.m. started playing Midnight Oil. And like a horde of people just came to the D4 and they absolutely killed it. There's this one really cool song by Mumbo Jump I'm going to chuck on the podcast. That's on the playlist later um, that I want everybody to listen to. So... Really, really uh, good vibes. But then they do a nudie run at like 8am and the winner of the nudie run gets a, a golden robe. Oh, yes. Uh, so there's just a really cool community. It's vibe. got a culture to it. Yeah, it's it has a real yeah. culture. Everybody's nice. Like, nobody's a dickhead. Um, yeah, just a really great vibe. So all in all, Meredith 2017 was absolutely mad. It was totally, totally vibing. 
Brilliant. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah, well, Ted, recently you hit me with an idea that I thought was interesting. You were saying that we're always talking about music that we think is good. Yeah. And you said to me, why don't we talk about music that we think is not good for a change? And I was like, you know, I wasn't really sold on the idea that much. Mm. Uh, I, I thought about it a lot. And then I encountered an album that I truly didn't like to the point where it made me upset that it was nice. getting out of praise. And I thought, you know what? Teddy is, Teddy is right. I, you need to be able to vent. You need to be able to say, like, there's... That you can go out there and aspire to create and create a massive mess. Yeah. You can you can fuck up so irrevocably that yeah. it warrants comment. And I so think is this your shit album of the week? Uh, well, yeah, I think I want to. I think this this week my album of the week is going to be me talking about an album that I don't like. No, it's like I encourage I encourage you out there to uh, to you know let me know if I'm wrong on this one. Uh, I have heard some people some people have told me that my opinion on this. Is a bit a bit contrarian, although you know it seems to be a fairly even split between people who think this is a very good album and people who actually think it's, think it's good. So yeah, the album I'm talking about at the moment is uh, is the debut album by Jaden Smith, who is of course famous for being the son of Will Smith, from being in the movie <laughs> After Earth. How, how many times do you reckon people say Jaden Smith without mentioning Will Smith at all? Like, how often does that happen? Well, I reckon it happens more often now than it would have, like, say, two months ago. Like, after this yeah. album has come out, he is Jaden Smith. Before that, he was definitely Jaden Smith, son of Will Smith. Has he come out with an album before? Is this his first album? First album. He's come out with singles, yeah. and he's done some mixtapes where he's, like, collected work from... He has a record label from the people on his label. He so, has a record label. Yeah, he started his own, uh, his own imprint oh, called Misfits. I mean, he's signed by Jay-Z. Um... That is, yeah, but uh, do you reckon Will Smith helped out there? Yeah, it was exactly. like, hey, Jamin, do you want to... <laughs> yeah, hey, Jamin, like, you know, you, we're both famous. You know, oh, my, son, my son wants to be a rapper. You no, are like, probably the most successful, like, the most critically acclaimed rapper of all time. Let's set something up. If, Let's you do it. Kids, if your kids want to be in movies like that, man, I'll help them out. I'll yeah. totally help them out. Let's and do it. Funny. Yeah, but um, I mean, I I think that this is this is a dreadful record, and, and that didn't yeah. come as a surprise to anybody who's, who's followed me on Instagram. Um, the Smiths have run out of luck recently a bit, you know. Collateral Beauty, Concussion, Suicide Squad. None of them were particularly good. Um, Willow made uh, has made an album that actually probably the, the best thing they've done recently. Um, Artipithecus, her, her album which is infused with all kinds of strange eccentric mysticism. Very yeah. Erica Bardui. Yeah. You know, very much entrenched in those kind of cosmic ideas. But Jaden Smith's album uh, is is terrible, and the problem, <laughs> and the problem with it is that I was looking forward to it. Yeah, I, I like Jaden wow. Smith is on on Tyler's new album, Scumfuck Flower Boy. I like his feature on that. He popped up on Cozy Tapes Two, an album by ASAP Mob that is terrible and morally bankrupt. Uh, but I mean, he was okay on that. He was one of the better parts of that. So you know, he's been around. He's been doing things that I've enjoyed. He was on. Um, Charles Gambino's Kawhi EP. I mean, he didn't rap. He didn't even sing. He spoke in like acted segments. But yeah, no, I was like, cool. We're Jaden Smith. He's up next, I guess. You know, he's going to be good uh, against all odds. But no, he dropped a seventy-minute album. That's the biggest. Like, it's it's like the most overly ambitious, misplaced confidence. Really? Yeah. It's it's a piece of artwork that that just careens wildly across <laughs> it careens wildly across hundreds of ideas never fully committing to them 
or very rarely committing to a full idea in a way to flesh it out or turn it into a full song. I mean, the first four songs in this album are B, L, U, and E, and they're all like a single large song. But that's only in name, because within those four tracks, there's like 16 subdivisions where a track will slow down and a beat change. But not the kind of, you know, Frank Ocean beat change you like and you're used to. Just the kind that abruptly happens and leaves you thinking, where am I going? Like, what's going on? So it's the shit kind kind of beat change, not the good kind. Exactly, the shit kind of beat change. The kind that throws you out of the song. You're like, oh, well, this didn't really, like, come out of it anywhere. Here I am. And the other part that is terrible is that there is actually some seriously good production on this. But it's hampered by two things. Jaden Smith's vision, like the way that he wants to put all of these songs together, and his lyrical ability, which is like a, a lack of a lyrical ability. He says, <laughs> he, says, he says some atrocious things on this album. Yeah. Um, Wait, did Jaden Smith, no, it's Jaden Smith's sister that did that song. I whip my hair. That's Willow, yes. That's Willow. That's Willow. I mean, but that was a long time ago. That was nearly seven years ago, eight years ago now. Yeah. So, I mean, she, she's come a long way. And I think, you know, as much as like... And, and when, I'm, when I'm disparaging this album, that's not to say that Jaden couldn't go on to become a great artist. I yeah. mean, I think it's pretty much universally known that Childish Gambino's first album, Camp, yeah. was terrible. Yeah. Was appalling. Got one of the... Got, I mean, like, not that Pitchfork has ever been the the benchmark for whether an album is good or not but it got mm. one of the most scathing reviews that Pitchfork has ever given in fact if they gave that review this year it would be the second worst reviewed album of the year from Pitchfork do you think that is is because like do you reckon that was because Charles Gambino was he was a comedian and an actor mm. at the time right? yeah so he's an actor he's a writer he's a comedian and do you reckon when he tried to have this foray into music like Pitchfork had like an incentive to really like shit on it I'm saying it's bad, or do you think it's not? I think so. I think I think Pitchfork as a as a website. This is a separate point. Pitchfork's website often wants to be cool and contrarian. You know, they yeah. they want to latch onto things that are topical. They mm. want to they, they want to they want to present themselves as tastemakers. You know, yeah. they don't want to follow the wave. And I mean, like Camp is not a good record. Yeah. Uh, but you remember Jet's second record, for instance, when they did the review of that. It yeah. was it wasn't even there was no text. It was a video of a monkey pissing into its own mouth. <laughs> that was that was the review that they submitted for Jet's second album. So I mean, like they definitely get something out of you know being overly vicious towards artists. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Gambino's first tape wasn't good. He was a comedian. He did lean too heavily on punchlines. Mm. Something that I mean, like I think he reined in for his second album, which I adore because yeah, the second album's good. Yeah, second album of course turns four years old today. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Yeah, I, I think... Of course, of course <laughs> we all do that, exactly. I think the punchline... Yeah, but his, his over-reliance on punchline rap definitely... Oh, punchlines definitely didn't help, you know. It was like wordplay, it was puns. And coming from a place as a comedian, that was kind of like, you know, oh, yeah, of course, that's the way things are going. But this Jaden Smith album just doesn't really make me feel as though he has, like, any... You know, it doesn't merit its own existence. It's, it's 17 tracks long, I'm pretty sure, it's well, however many the number of tracks is. It's still like nine tracks too long. Yeah. Like there is there is no need for an ultra long album, and I think time and time again artists like Drake have shown that that is just not the way to go. Like yeah. don't make your album a, t- a twenty two track album. It's very rarely, it very rarely ends up being a good thing. You know, mm-hmm. like if anything, just cull the tracks for the filler and release I don't know a subsequent EP or something. You know. Do you think though? You said the production is quite good on. That's the thing, yeah. The beats that have been provided to Jaden are yeah. actually quite good. Yeah. And there are some, for instance, there's the main single, Icon, which was released the same day as the album came out. 
yeah. which has a video and everything. It, it boasts, you know, some really mediocre Jaden rap. But it's a really cool beat that's built over this Cab Calloway sample that I really like. Cool. Yeah, which is actually really cool and really intense. But it's... Yeah, Jaden manages to take that beat for his project and bring it down to a lower level. I feel like if somebody else got their hands on it, it would be a better song. Wow, so it's actually just Jaden Smith's input. That's shit. Like, just Jaden Smith's input. Yeah, it's his input and it's his vision as well. It's it's the way that everything kind of melds together. I think, in fact, it's strange that my favourite song um, is a nine-minute song where he he has a loving, endearing... uh, Tribute to Kanye West on it, uh, where, oh, he, where he emulates an outro to one of Kanye's 2015 songs. Uh, oh, 2016 songs, sorry. Um, that's probably why you love it so much. Well, well, no, I mean, like, the outro is not, the outro is pretty superfluous. Like, if they got rid of the outro, I'd be fine. I just think the song is like, it's one of those times where he really explores an idea to its yeah. full extent. Otherwise, I feel like he's like, he'll do something and he'll jump to the next thing. It's yeah, like, cool. You know, it's, it's like, it's all too fleeting, which is interesting because it's such a big album that's ruined by the fact by many things but one of the things that I don't like about it is how fleeting the, in, the single instances within are you know yeah so do you want people to go away and listen to this album and agree with you that it's shit or do you want people to not even waste their time with listening to this album look I think this album is interesting I think this album would be interesting to listen for a lot of people because I mean it's the thing about it is me saying that it's not good I go up against a lot of people that I've seen saying that this is great especially people who enjoy acts like I do. So people yeah. who enjoy Charles Cambino, yeah. and people who enjoy Brockhampton, who are, you know, two of my favourite artists yeah. um, ever, probably. Uh, those those two groups seem to have fans, or seem to have, you know, fans of those groups enjoy this work a lot. They really love Charles like, Jaden Smith. They really love this Jaden Smith album. And I mean, I, I see where I'm coming from, clearly, because I'm coming from that, that perspective. But yeah, I think it's I think it's an album worth scrutinising. I think if somebody hasn't checked it out yet, mm-hmm. it is worth it is worth listening to purely for the division that it's prompted within the hip hop community. You know, because you know when you listen to Will Smith tracks, like he was a really good rapper. Yeah, Will Smith had some very good writers though. Remember? Yeah, that's true. Nas Nas wrote for Will yeah, Smith back in the nineties and stuff. Like like he's a good rapper, and and I and I enjoy his his songs. You know, they get me going. They're party fantastic, like yeah. Miami and stuff. But, um, I love Boom, Shake, Shake, Shake the Room. That's that right. song is huge. We listened to that the other day, didn't yeah, we? Yes, I love huge. that song. Um, and he's always known as that very clean rapper. Like, he raps about really clean stuff. Yeah. And he swears or anything like that. And that's kind of, I mean, like, that's his own sort of thing. But apparently he was rapping, got pretty successful, and then got majorly in debt. And that's why he was forced to do The Fresh Prince. Yeah, he pretty much had to say yes. And The Fresh Prince sort of acted as a like a uh, platform for him to boost his acting and his, his rap. It did because he rapped as Fresh Prince and then Jazzy Jeff was his teacher. Yeah, was the show. yeah. Jazz, jazz is in it. And that is such a good idea for a show. Like It is actually. It's one of the best shows ever. Like imagine Charles Gambino went away and had like some cheesy nice sitcom where he raps. Yeah, it's actually just be a play Fresh Prince. Although, rapper. Atlanta's kind of like that though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, Atlanta, the second season's coming out in February next oh, yeah. year. Um, be prepared. I'm very prepared. First season of Atlanta was a it was bro- so good. brilliant TV. Loved yeah. its bits. Man, that's awesome. Yeah, oh, so man. Well, there you go. Maybe Jaden Smith will do a loving sitcom. Because that's the yeah, thing that maybe Jaden Smith... do it. Because Will Smith had an album that flopped, did really poorly. Yeah. And so maybe Jaden Smith... Because he hasn't gone into debt a lot from this album, has he? No, I reckon he's made lots of money from this, honestly. Um, I mean, he's been doing it for years. He signed He signed to a Rock Nation imprint, Rock Nation being um, yeah. Jay-Z. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I figure he's rolling in money. I figure he's, you know, having a great time no matter what. I mean, I think Jaden Smith's money problems, kind of like, you look at his family, mm. they're a little bit involved in Scientology. I feel like he's going to be fine, no matter what. Why? Because he's involved in Scientology. I think it's pretty fine if you're involved in Scientology. Really? Danny Masterson raped a bunch of people. and He's, he's just been caught for that. Well, he's just been kicked off his Netflix show. Yeah. The, the, the trial is still, you know... Stalled massively, but I mean, he got away with it for a lot longer than most other people. Did. He got he got months of being like mm. of, of continuing to film on a show that nobody was watching anyway. Yeah. But you know, he's he had a really massive period of grace when you consider someone like uh, Louis C.K. Not Do a scientologist, yeah, in front of people, his career was dead within forty eight hours. That's actually really true, isn't it? But you know, the thing is, because you have come out and publicly said that about Scientology, you're going to become an enemy of the church now. Oh wow. You know, as soon as you say it publicly, you're officially an enemy of the church. Oh, I'm a suppressive person? Or yeah, what? you're a suppressive person. Wow, an SP. It's fascinating that Harry, I told you about, this is my oldest brother, Harry. He's a musician. Like, God, like, one album out, coming out with another album soon. And he went to, he was in LA, um, you know, just around America. And he, wa- he walked in accidentally and was uh, interviewed by a girl from Taiwan who was a Scientologist, was telling me about the church. And Harry's pretty nice and just a curious guy in general. So they take him around this museum of Scientology and for four hours tell him about the religion the whole time getting his life story. And, you know, Harry's obviously a smart guy. He lets on a little bit, doesn't let on too much. But by the time he was leaving the place, they were playing his music in the foyer of this Scientology museum. So he was amazed at their sales tactics because the whole time they were like, doing research on this guy, finding out a lot more about him. And the ultimate compliment was saying, hey, we really love this song, Misdiagnosed, from your album. Uh, you know, we're just listening to it. And he was just amazed at the level of research these guys did in such a short amount of time to be able to get his album up there and to perfectly have it playing when he, when he got out. Like, it's pretty nice what these guys can do. It's, it's, yeah, it, it is fascinating. As, it is as fascinating as it is disconcerting. It's kind of, you yeah, know, it's, like the amount that they can actually do and the dedication they have to that cause is, you know... Terrifying. And it's one of those things that I feel like they particularly appeal to artists that are in LA, like actors, musicians, whatever, in LA, mm. because those guys are generally a bit like, you know, lonely on their own. They've come to LA to pursue their dreams. They're very, you know, obviously artistic, so they're open-minded, willing to listen to anything. And then if they, you know, show these guys a bit of compassion, a bit of care, like, you know, who's to say that's, that's, that's a wrong thing? Exactly. And when you find out that people hear the stories that people say about getting you know, like, kind out of lots of money or mm. obviously getting abused. That, that's pretty messed up. I mean, this Danny Masterson has been raping people and that's being suppressed by the church. Like, that is horrible. That's, yeah, that's that's terrifying. But, I mean, it's it's what we've come to... It's I mean, I think it's what I've come to expect through the way that the church has been presented to me. Mm. Like, I've seen a couple of documentaries. I've, I've read some stuff. You know, I know about Sea Org. I saw the Louis Thoreau thing. Mm. I feel like they're evil. Um, that's just how it's gone. But I figured that we should stop before somebody yeah, sure. comes to my house and <laughs> calls me an SP on camera. I've, I've seen how that kind of stuff goes down. Yeah, sure, exactly. Anyway, so do you have an album for us this week? Yes, I do. So an album I'm going to talk about today is up there with, you know, probably one of my favourite albums to come out this year. Um, it's called Half Mile Harvest by the Teskey Brothers. Very nice. So this is an act I was talking about before, saw them at Meredith. Uh, Harry, again, my brother, actually played with these guys uh, when they supported Busby Maru on a tour. 
And these guys are a band that have come out this year. They're from, I think, Warrandyte in Melbourne. Somewhere like out of Melbourne suburbs, but like a cool area. And they released this album, Streaming. And Tom Busby, one of the singers in Busby Maru, or mm. the singer from Busby Maru, heard it, wanted to get these guys on a support slot. So got them to support them as they, they toured around. Then their streaming album just takes off. Like people love it. So they literally have one album, took off on streaming, and now they're playing, like they sold out a show at the corner, and they're playing at Meredith. They're really getting a good following and just good on them because they're mm. such sick guys. I actually think you should pronounce Chesky, the guy pronounced it on um, on Saturday Arbor. He said Chesky Brothers. I'm not too sure. Drew is still that. Uh, but like a mad sound. So they are um, like a six-piece band. Got drummer, bass, uh, guitar, lead guitar, rhythm guitar, and then a three-piece brass band. So it's actually, what, a seven-piece band? Are they all brothers or not? No, two of them are brothers. Okay. The rest of them are just awesome cats. Like, And their sound is just so authentic, like 60s soft. It's lo-fi, it's easy to make, but it is so tasty and so easy to sing along to. Mm. Just perfectly captures... Um, just that 60s, like just soul vibe, 60s, 70s soul vibe. So, really cool guys. You know that you've caught the 60s, 70s soul vibe when I played one song to my dad, by yeah. the Brothers, and then later he followed me up on it. He was like, What's that? What, what's that band? What are they called? Could you get me that album? Yeah. Like, he was he was keen, and I think that's a good sign of yeah. the fact that they so accurately, and yeah, he, he didn't believe that it was like a current recent thing. Mm. So true, and I I really love their sound as well. It's so just well produced, and as I said before, because they're all real instruments, like it's so good to perform live. And you know when you go to a festival and you hear, I mean, like acts like Charlie Gambino actually do it all right, but so many of those electronic overproduced acts when they perform live, if the sound is shit or the instrumentation isn't quite up to scratch, like it just sounds overall pretty tacky and pretty bad because you're always comparing it to the live album. Rather, as these guys just perfectly nailed it. Like, it sounded similar to the record, not exactly the same, but the sound was perfect and you could just hear everything clearly. And that is honestly why I think I will always love um, live bands and live instruments more than overproduced, you know, techno sort of sounds. Yeah, that's fair. And I definitely think they have their place. But, you know, I saw Jessica Malboy perform at a festival in Darwin once. And she performed with a drummer and seven keyboard players, all wearing headphones. And that just live. I mean, I had to be a bit of a, like a music snob, but it just looked shit. Like, mm. I just didn't want to see seven guys playing like these pads along with backing tracks and Jessica Malboy singing along. It just looks tacky. And I also think that what happens is that as technology develops and sounds change, like a lot of sounds sound outdated. Like if you go back and listen to 80s or early 90s tracks, you know, when they first developed like brass synth sounds yeah. you hear that and go oh man that is shit like that is really bad mm. but you listen to like some 60s or 70s stuff where it's all still live bands and it doesn't sound outdated because live instruments sound the same rather yeah. than technological instruments live instruments sound like live instruments you know yeah. like nobody has nobody has majorly improved the saxophone yeah. in recent years exactly. it sound like a different instrument exactly mm. and that is what I love about it like I mean I suppose we've seen the electric violin become more of a thing Mm. And that, that sounds really sick. But what I yeah, am just all about is live players, live instruments. And even someone like Harvey Sutherland, who plays techno music, what I really liked is that they had that techno DJ vibe. Like, you could easily have been a DJ playing it. 
but it's all a live keyboard, live drummer, percussionist and violin, even if they do play with a few backing tracks, like, mm. it's still a live music feel. Um, exactly, you've got to have that, that on-stage chemistry goes yeah. a long way, you know, when I saw, um, in fact, this is a strange gig that I've seen, but I saw Simply Red last yeah. year, um, you know, Simply oh, Red, cool. uh, Mick, Mick Hucknell, yeah. and... Uh, Apparently that, that guy's a genius. Mick Hucknell yeah. is, uh, not sure, if, uh, like, I don't know about his songwriting credentials, but he is a brilliant singer, and he still has his voice. I mean, he wrote some amazing songs back in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Uh, I think Stars is the only album, his album from 95, is the only album to be the number one selling album in the UK two years in a row. Yeah, wow. I think he dropped it in December, and it was the highest selling for both years, which is insane. Cool. But, um... But he was incredible, but he had a full live band, and it wasn't the original band that he had with him back in the uh, back in the eighties, mm. nineties. But you know, it was just like a really cool cast of characters, and they had like a, a really funky bass player and a really like funky saxophonist, and they play with each other on the on the stage. You know, like the bass player would play something to the saxophone player, and he play something back. It was like they were throwing it back and forth between each other. It was it like made the experience that much more enjoyable. The uh, the live aspect, the yeah. chemistry that they brought. That is so cool. I, uh, and that's the other thing, actually, when you see a band that does that, that got like some sort of techno sound, but really do perform live well. Um, those guys, mm-hmm. even though the sound of the vocals was shit, like the band was so tight. And they've got a more electronic kind of sound, but very kind of disco oriented as well. And them live was awesome. And it really does show like who's a good performer and who isn't, because some bands sucked, like Emma mm-hmm. and the Sniffers, or Pissed Jeans. I mean, they were all right, but like. The live sound wasn't as like intense as you might have like exactly. I mean, this I, time. I I think this is this is telling us to where I stand on this. That yeah. um, I mean, I, I've seen lots of live rap acts, mm. and I think it's been incredible. Like some of the greatest concerts I've been to, some of those vile mosh pits I've ever been in, <laughs> where I've had to you know like really hold on to my uh, really hold on to my camera to make sure that it's not going to get destroyed. Yeah, um, wow. That those gigs have been wonderful, but for instance, you know, Melodrama by Lord is one of my favourite albums this year. I think it's my, yeah. I think at the moment it's my second, it's my, yeah, it's my second album of the year, it's my second highest album of the year in terms of praise. Yeah. And I did not go see it live because I just didn't feel as though it would translate well to a live show. Like, I love the album to bits, but nothing about me wanted to see it happen in front of me like that. I figure if I was going to listen to Melodrama, it would be, you know, with big earphones. Yeah. Like, maybe, I don't know, lying on the beach or something. But I don't think that the best way to see it would be with Lord in front of me delivering that album. Amazed how in those big studio shows, like, the sound does get really kind of tacky after a while. Like, uh, my brother saw Akadaka live. Mm. And... That sounds apparently really crap because it's at uh, Eddie Head or you know someone maybe it was at Amy Park or something somewhere huge big stadium and just the sound just totally let them down. Um, so you had Angus Young obviously like shredding on the guitar but you couldn't hear all the other instruments clearly. The voice just wasn't quite there. And so I really let them down. But I saw Springsteen live, yes. and that is like a live band and it's like a rockabilly band with like a um, acoustic piano and it sounds perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I saw you show at Aim Park. Um, oh, God, so last good. year, incredible. Yeah. He doesn't stop. He yeah. just keeps going. Yeah. Like every every time you think he's done, he come he, he comes back and plays a couple more songs. You love bands that really take care of the live show. I think that is what I really respect. And that's Springsteen's probably the best live performance I've mm. ever seen. Oh, Can Empire though. I've been at Can Empire, yep. small jazz room. That was mad. I, I saw Only McGill there, but I never saw Can Empire. Oh, we went to Solomon McGill. That's right. We did. We went to Solomon McGill. It was weird. It was weird. If 
played some crazy music. Yeah, man, it was cool though. I think I think one of the best guys I've, I've ever seen is John Mayer. Oh yeah, John Mayer. John Mayer sure. can play can play a live show. Just the trio. Um, no, not even his trio, just him. Um, I mean, oh, really? But his current his current tour that he's doing yeah. uh, is is built in the same way as his 2007 live album. Yeah. So he comes out and does a set. Then his trio does a set, yeah. and then he does a full band set. Oh, cool. So, but like you know, best of best of all three. Best he, he nails right. all three of them, and, and of course, his trio is a band that like if his trio ever did tour again, got mad trio. Yeah. I could not think of a band I would want to see more. Pino uh, Palladino on bass, yeah. Steve Jordan on yeah, drums. Steve Jordan is Steve nuts. Jordan is incredible. Pino Palladino played for Nine Inch Nails. He's meant to be like the most no, versatile bassist in the industry because he can play anything. Nah, dude. John I think Paul Jones. John Paul Jones. John Paul Jones, Led Zeppelin's bass player. He, I should know a versatile bass player maybe. He plays like 40 different instruments um, across like a bunch of albums. He is a freak. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, but, oh yeah, dude, Steve Jordan on drums is so cool. I think Steve Jordan used to be on the Letterman band as well as the CBS Orchestra for a while. Like, they're just, they've been everywhere. Um, they're they're, they're just Jordan amazing, band. amazing studio musicians. Yeah. Or session musicians. And John May, who can play guitar better than most people want to give him credit for. So I would love to see... Uh, Ed Sheeran play not because I love Ed Sheeran's music I don't really but I love that apparently he plays sold out stadium shows with just an acoustic guitar and I've seen him yeah you've seen him I saw him when he came out for his first album I saw him at Festival Hall and I actually ended up by coincidence sitting next to a girl who would as of seven months ago go on to be my current girlfriend Wow! I sat next to Lauren back in like 2011 really? at an Ed Sheeran concert because we just happened that to is the week. lamest story Ever. Like that is so like um, bloody like tell the story at your wedding Ed Sheeran song. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, actually, should have Yeah, although it's a beautiful story. Although, but although, although, if, it although if, yeah, it was actually by coincidence. But if I do like an Ed Sheeran song at my wedding, I want you to kill me. <laughs> I want you to do it. It's if your first dance is when you're na 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 but seeing him sell out a show with an acoustic guitar. Yes, yeah, and back then when I like that, I still think that first album was a very good album. And yeah. honestly, like Festival Hall, you know, it's got like the the acoustics of I don't know, wet paper bag. It's a yeah. terrible place to have a concert. He he would he sung without a microphone a number of times and nailed it. Everyone could hear wow. him clearly. He has an incredible voice. Um, and that's the, actually the other thing that we were realizing, in Meredith, is that when you actually get to start playing more festival shows, it's amazing how the songs you write change. So right now, like, I play a lot of gigs in, like, pubs, in, like, you know, small-ish kind of rooms, like, rooms for, like, 100, mm. 200 people. But when you actually get to playing stadiums, the songs you write change so they can suit the stadium better. Yes. I find that very interesting. Dude, early this year... to a lot of bands, yeah. Early this year, I wrote an article on Kanye West, and when he went on tour with, um, in 2006 and seven with the Rolling Stones and U2, yeah. he went on separate legs as a support act. And with U2 But he was a support act Yes for Rolling Stones and U2 And uh, It's really interesting Because if you listen to U2 um, And when he performed stadium shows He found out that people Weren't really receptive To his more lyrical songs So he decided that he was going to write A massive stadium album And he did Graduation was his massive stadium Uh And and like you can feel his work dumbing down But he's really just like Catering for a different crowd He wanted to be able to play an arena And have everybody sing his songs back at him Yeah so he, he really changed up the feel. And when you listen to the album, the U2 album that came out after that, which was called No Line on the Horizon, yeah. it's, you, you can feel the influence of hip-hop on that. And you can feel the influence of like going back to the lyrics on that U2 album. It's really interesting like the way that it influenced both bands touring with each other. 
Yeah, yeah, that's artists. Awesome. Yeah, but you do, absolutely. Like, you, stadium shows are a different vibe. Or yeah. And it was amazing that you could tell there are a few bands that were just not used to playing those big stages, especially mm-hmm. Meredith. Like, they were like, whoa, what do we do here? And they sort of, like, you know, their sound just wasn't as good. And they just weren't as tight as they might have wanted to be. So I'm interesting. I'm doing a band launch. Mr. Savage, the band that I have started with my brother Sam, we're doing a one-for-one presents Mr. Savage band launch this Thursday night. It's going to be interesting. VIP, invite only. Exactly. Very exclusive room. Hit, us, hit, hit, me, up for, <laughs> hit me up for an invite, though. If, yeah, if, you've, listened to totally this month, if you've listened to this month of this podcast, yeah. then, man, I will, I will buy yeah. you drinks. In fact, if you are here at this podcast, you're actually listening now, 100% send me a message because if you're definitely at this stage, you definitely know at least one of us. Yeah, and we'll get you to come along. It'll be so fun. Um, but yeah, we really want to have that live performance aspect. Yeah, no, I'm I'm really excited to see how that goes. Yeah, uh, and, uh, as I'm sure everyone else is, you know, it's had a pretty good uh, a pretty good promo. Going oh, dude, on those already. videos are making a man. They're so good. I've, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. It's it's getting some good responses. It's yeah. getting some good responses. I'm, uh, I'm bro- you know expanding into my uh, into my social media. <laughs> so on and so forth. Blah blah blah. Anyway, are we gonna make a playlist or? Yes, let's do it. To curtail off this podcast, let us hit you up with the tastiest playlist you are going to listen to this week. This is Old Mansion number four. I'm going to kick us off with a song that I listened to this morning because it was bloody Monday morning and I was not feeling it because I was coming down from the festival, did not want to re-enter the real world, just wanted to live in my Meredith La La Land um, Valhalla sort of existence. But first song I am going to uh, hit up is a cover of, um, it's a famous jazz chart written by, uh, I'm going to say, Roy Noble, I'm pretty sure. Let me check it out. It is a, whoa. He's going, he's trying to, he's trying to. I got this, I got this, I got this, I got this. Ah, Ray Noble, not Roy Noble, Ray Noble. Yeah. Close, close. Uh, It's an old-fashioned jazz chart from 1938, but Kamasi Washington does an absolutely tasty version of it. It's known as one of the hardest jazz charts to play because there's so many chord changes and it's like a box tune. So people normally play about 240 BPM. So it's like... Anyway, I heard a... So I heard a big band, I heard the Gordon Goodwin big fat band play this when they played at Generations in Jazz, Mount Gambia, in 2014. And they played it so fast. It was the tightest brush play I've ever heard. But I really, really dug it. So Cherokee by Kamasi Washington. They turn it into like a lot more of a groovy version as they would. Um, so tasty. I love it. Cherokee. What's your very nice? Oh yeah, my first song, fitting for tonight. I am seeing No Name, so I'm going to recommend one of my favourite No Name songs. Nice. You know, of which I'm limited for choice. No Name has released a single incredible mixtape. One of the best mixtapes that came out last year, easily. Um, I highly recommend anyone who likes music check it out. Um, Can you confirm why it's called a mixtape and not an album? Well, this is this is interesting. Um, So mixtapes used to be a regional thing in hip hop. So like mixtapes rarely cross regions. For instance, back before the internet, if you had a mixtape in New York, you gave it out to your friends, you sold it to people, you you handed it out. It usually wouldn't make it to LA, you know. Um, But it was revolutionised by Clips, the group that Pusha T was in. Yeah, um, back here, who collaborated with Pharrell a lot, and now it just generally means um, mixtapes are usually free. Uh, mixtapes, you know, I think it's a really useful designator for when you don't want to have a certain pressure riding on a project. Mm-hmm. Like you're just like I'm experimenting. Here's a mixtape, you know, 
or um, you can get all your friends on board and be like, he's a mix up with all my friends or all my label mates. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I think album is a, is a big, it, it's a big ask for people. When people have to do a new album, it's like, people expect a lot. It, it signifies a full era has passed, you know? Like people have, like when you think about Kanye West having eras with his albums, mm-hmm. like putting out a mixtape after an album is like putting out an EP. You know, yep. it might be a lead into an album or it might be the end of an album period, but it's hardly ever, you know, a project on its own. It's hardly ever yeah. a whole new era is briefed with a mixtape. So at the moment, it's just a designation. You use it for whatever you want, really. Um, yeah, okay. But yeah, so this was a mixtape because it was free. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, I, I mean, she hasn't made an album yet. I think she's probably warming up to that idea. Yep. A, lot of, a lot of rap artists cut their teeth doing... Yep mixtapes before they actually release an album uh, Chance the Rapper has yet to release an album mm-hmm. um, but yeah this wait song, really? yes he has really, he's released three mixtapes ah okay four mixtapes if you can't surf that's, that's, yeah. song, that's what it is mixtape okay um, but yeah Shadow Man by No Name is the album closer on her mixtape it features oh yeah she played that that was mad that it was features so Felix Smino and who else who's Saba yes um, and Smino is a St. Louis born uh, rapper who I really like released his debut this year mm-hmm. and uh, Saba is a Chicago born rapper who I also really like uh, there's a pattern emerging here um, it's just a beautiful song it's, uh, it's very interesting it has like verses from everyone it's a posse cut you know yep. uh, and production is wonderful I mean all production for people in this niche in this Chicago scene so, they all work on the same all the same producers produce everything so there's this guy called Elton Chung yep. who produced all of Acid Rap he worked 23 hour days or something in order to get it done when it was near the deadline he would just work non-stop in order to get that, that mixtape cut so um, cool. and yeah no Shadow Man great song highly recommend not only is it no name but it's a bunch of other artists who I really enjoy and I think I was exposed to them because of this song. So, you know, it's a great place to start for everyone here. Nice. Uh, I am going to add a song to this playlist by a band called Mumbo Jumbo. Uh, not a band I had heard of before, but a band I absolutely love. So this song, DJ played at Meredith. Meredith at like 5 a.m. in the morning. Um, and it is a song called Wind It Up, and it's just got a great hook that really uh, gets you going. So, pretty simple, and it's one of those songs that sounds like uh, an Aussie classic, because he was playing it amongst all these other Aussie classics, like ACDC, Bloody um, uh, like Midnight Oil, that sort of stuff. And so, it's, got, it's about Australia. Um, it's just got this mad hook that I swear sounded like an Aussie classic, but I'd never heard of before. So mumbo jumbo winds it up, winds it up, get around it. It's really cool, fantastic. I mean, feeling like you already know it, a chorus or song is always a great way. Yeah, to, yeah. You know that that's how they used to write. Just quickly, that's how they used to write pop songs. Like the um, Max Martin, who writes, who is you yeah. know, one of the most prolific pop song yeah. writers, right? Used to the Swedish oh, guy. Yeah, yeah the Swedish guy. Oh, like they're all Swedish guys. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but he he is the foremost Swedish guy who writes all of the pop songs that you have liked ever since you were born. Mm. And um. He, the biggest well, when he was talking about he had this interview where he revealed how the sausage is made effectively the pop the pop music sausage and he said yeah. the big thing is um, hearing like recognising a chorus before you hear it is a big deal so a song such as I Want to Be Your Lover by Prince yeah. the chorus and the verse are the same yeah. oh, so yeah. by the time you get to the chorus you can sing it oh. like actually genius 
Sunspot. Yeah, dude, he played that. The same DJ played that song as well. I just remember yeah. that. That song is huge. It is massive song. But so anyway, my, my next song is a song from the south. Uh, this is uh, by an artist called Big Crit, who is, as I mentioned before, an artist who has cut his teeth on um, mixtapes. I think he released like eleven in like eight years or something ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But um, this is his third album that he put out this year. It's called uh, what is it called? Um, oh yeah, Forever is a Mighty Long Time. And it's a double album. It's yeah. like an hour and a half long. And as much as I'm a man who, you know, regularly bashes long albums, it is an incredible experience. So it's kind of two halves. One half is called Big Crit and one half is called Justin Scott. The first half is about all of the like rap, you know, all of these like rap figure stuff. And the second half is about, you know, faith and him as a person. Justin Scott, which is his real name. And yeah, no, I think it's, it's full of all kind of like outcast, UGK... You know, real southern, old school goodness. Um, and one of the songs I like the most is a real like Bone Thugs and Harmony joint called Layup. That's just like it's not even really a rap song. It's just like a really smooth uh, R and B tune. And he kills it. He kills everything on this album. I highly recommend checking it out. Um, it's got some features from Ti and CeeLo Green and uh, uh, Big Bun B and Pimp C, who are UGK. So it's got some classic, um, some classic southern. Artists on it, uh, which are all powerful cosigns. So that that's sounds, my that's my next edition. That sounds mad. The next song I'm going to bring up is from the album that I was talking about before, Chesky Brothers or Chesky Brothers, Crying with the Pain. Opening song, um, just amazingly beautiful soul song, Crying with the Pain. Like again, a simple band setup, great horn lines, great instrumentations, has an awesome build. Um, it gets bigger towards the end and just a great setup for the rest of the album another great song on that album is Shiny Moon but you'll, you'll get there you'll listen to the first song and you'll have to listen to it exactly and we'll get there so good my next song is one that you will enjoy yeah. I've been listening to this all week and 10cc are a band that have always reminded me of Supertramp and I said yeah. this the other day on my, on my uh, Instagram story they're like and I figured out I looked it up and I figured out they both occupy like an art pop kind of thing yeah and, and you know they're both from England they both have that crazy quirky side to them yeah and yeah the things we do for love oh whilst, yeah whilst you know like everyone including myself loves um, I'm not in love it is yeah. like, it is a serious song and they don't you know like their massive hits are all kind of irreverent but this is one of those irreverent songs that just goes all over the place but oh. it's so catchy it's and, so huge yeah. that song it goes everywhere it does, it like has a really slow start and then it goes really upbeat and, and it slows down again. Yeah, exactly. It is it is really just a great song. And as soon as I listen to it, it's stuck in my head all day. Like, oh, yeah. like and the thing about that song being stuck in your head is that like there are three different parts to it and I get all of them stuck at yeah. different times of the day. So true. You know, like like it's almost like having three songs stuck in your head for the price of one. <laughs> oh, great song. Like walking in the rain and the snow and there's nowhere to go. <laughs> but yeah, great song. Um, this song is a song I only heard last week, but an album that came out earlier this year from the album Life is Fine by Paul Kelly. Latest album, apparently it outsold Ed Sheeran in its first week of selling. So Ed Sheeran released an album, Paul Kelly released an album, and in Australia, Paul Kelly once sold like twice the amount of albums. Wow, go Australian, right? Yeah, I mean, like, we all obviously, obviously a lot of Aussies love Paul Kelly, but a lot of Aussies love Ed Sheeran as well. He always sells A lot of everyone loves Ed Sheeran. He's, yeah. you, you can't beat that guy. He's the yeah, king. Well, this song is from that uh, first track from that song, Life is Fine. It's called Rising Moon. And it is huge. Like, absolutely 
huge. Great band sound, awesome organ, and sick drums. Um, rising Moon. Now, a few of the other songs I don't necessarily like on the album. I think Paul Kelly has definitely become like middle-aged, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> like, he's always writing about, I don't know, just like middle-aged people stuff, like liking candles and and the like. <laughs> yeah, you know, that kind of stuff. The classic. Yeah, classic. he talks about relaxing with a glass of red wine and having a bath, like that sort of stuff. So, uh, this song, though, is just huge. Classic Paul Kelly, Sink Straight from the Heart, absolutely love it. So Rising Moon, Paul Kelly. Rising Moon by Paul Kelly is our next one. Well, my next one is actually a rap song, surprise, surprise. I'm going back from my 10cc to, uh, I was looking at my year in music. Spotify gave me a year in music, you know, they give you your top 100 songs Mm -hmm. that you've listened to. And it just reminded me of some things that I've been listening to this year. And um, earlier this year, I was lucky enough to get into Mob Deep. Uh, a great, great uh, Queens-based rap group. Uh, I got into them after I decided that I liked Illmatic so much that I needed to try out a bunch of other Queens-based acts. Oh, and this yeah. is already the most eclectic, no, no, again, no, the most eclectic freaking podcast. It's got It's gone a bit everywhere. But um, my song is one of their um, their second album, uh, The Infamous. It's called Temperatures Rising. Yeah. It's just a great like narrative song about uh, about yes, somebody's you know, suspected of murder and they're pretty much skipping town. And the perspective is Prodigy, the rapper, um, he he is talking to them as though he's writing a letter to them. And it's just a great, really interesting song. It has an awesome hook sung by, um, I think it's Selena Johnson, but I'm not sure. It has an awesome hook sung by um, a woman who isn't actually a part of the band. One of the best features on the album, probably my favourite song on the whole album. And, you know, it is like a classic of the East Coast. So I think this song doesn't get anywhere near as much love as it should when people talk about this great album. And yeah, I'd like, I'd like to add that to our playlist next. So good. Uh, finally, the last song. Wow, I've actually got four out of five Aussie acts. How good is that? Wow, you're repping the country, yeah. Last song is that guy I was talking before again, Harvey Sutherland. Um, great keyboard player, great disco groovy kind of sound. Coast to coast. It's coast to coast. So then you'll get a vibe of what this guy's about. And you either like it or you won't. Mm. I respect that there's live instruments playing on it. It's not just loops. It's full-on live tracks. It's like an intricate... Yeah. He's a decent keyboard player. It kind of sounds like... I, when I was listening to it, it sounds like Miami in the 80s. Like a lot of kind of Scarface vibes. So yeah. Seen, a lot of Giorgio Moroda. Yeah. Heavy synthesizer. <laughs> Um, but this is, yeah, one of his tastiest proofs um, that I listened from his tunes that I was listening to. So get around that. Harvey Sutherland, Coast to Coast. And now, Connor, for our final track I've got for a, Old Mansion number four. Final track. I've got another track from Queens, uh, Queensbridge in New York. Um, you know, the year that uh, the year that Niles' Zillmatic came out, I want to say 1993. Um, big year for rap. Uh, it was one of the most acclaimed albums of all time. Even from the moment that it dropped, it was one of was like an experience for a lot of people. They were like, "Wow, we didn't know that this was possible." Mm-hmm. You know, Jay Z changed up his style in the wake of that album before his before his debut. It's like it changed the landscape forever. But there was another album that came out around the same time by a guy named OC, and it was very good. And it was very similar to um, very similar to Illmatic, but it wasn't quite as good. And because of that, when it was released just after Illmatic came out. Uh, it really didn't do that well and now it's kind of like a footnote in musical history and Nas was meant to have a verse on it but it didn't eventuate and so there's really nothing that buoys this album to the consciousness anymore you know it's like it happened but it happened at the wrong time it happened just a little bit too late and whilst OC the artist could have been you know a star could have been a legend of the game 
he kind of fell behind because, yeah, just based on bad luck. So my song is Born to Live, which is the title track off his debut album, Born to Live. Just a great, like, early Nas-esque song about, uh, you know, what it's like to live in the projects in Queensbridge in the same place that Nas was living. And if you listen to it, you'll notice, you know, lyrically... Uh, flow-wise, musically, the similarities between that and something like Life's a Bitch. Um, Whilst Life's a Bitch is one of the greatest songs ever made, you know, this is a very good song, but it definitely gets overshadowed. But, you know, it's still worth checking out. It's interesting to see how two people were on the same wavelength at the same time. Yeah. Uh, From the same place. You know, there was obviously something going on there that uh, that pointed people in this artistic direction. Yeah. Well, very nice. I'm excited to listen to that part. I also play this. I think it's gonna be cool. Oh, and the podcast. And the podcast, yeah, exactly. Because because we love ourselves. You know, we are on that. We are on that positivity season. We do yeah. listen to this and think, man, we're good. We have got uh, two views every single week so far. So yeah, exactly. Actually... Yeah, yeah, it's like <laughs> when you used to when you used to go for class captain and you'd say, "Can I vote for myself?" And the teacher would say, "Well, if you don't vote for yourself, who do you think? Who yeah, else? Yeah, who exactly else is meant right. to vote for you?" Because no, if we don't even listen to this, yeah. who the hell else is gonna listen to it? Exactly, precisely. Anyway, well, it's it's now 7pm and I have a no-name concert to catch. Exactly right. So, guys, thank you very much for listening. Uh, make sure you get around the website, oneforone.com.au. we got more good stuff coming. one for one cc on Instagram, one for one cc on Facebook. Yep. Uh, and stay tuned. Feel free to listen to this podcast playlist on Spotify. The link will be in the show notes. It's a good one. And we wish you all a fantastic week. We do. All the best.